welcome to episode 17 of Rocco Public Radio for the week of December 7th. We're at the Casual X-Men Chat Show, where we chat everything happening in Marvel's Mutants every single week. I'm Rod, and this is the guy who only ever logged onto the dark web once, and that was to find out if he could build an actual Dragonzord, my one and only Comedian Mutant, Keegan. This week, we are talking about, let me get a big... Mortal X-Men 9, X-Men Red number 9, X-Force 35, New Mutants 32, Marauders number 9, Extreme X-Men number 1, Dark Web number 1, and going around the Marvel Universe with Captain Marvel 44 and the Family Snicked. But first, we had so much fun with Owen last week, we're bringing on a third host again. Welcome, Joe of X. Today, I am recognized by the Broken Land. Today, I am Joe of Arako. You have probably been mentioned maybe yeah, the much most like, of anything? <laughs> much like Beetlejuice, if you say my name in public three times, I will show up. Uh, you know, and I, I, I listen to this when I work out, you know, and so, like, I'll have, uh, you know, this, like, big heavy weight, you know what I mean, because I'm trying to do more weight, and, like, all of a sudden I hear my own name, and it's, like, such a jarring <laughs> thing, like, oh, Joe of X is gonna be mad at me, like, and I'm like, yeah, well, like, <laughs> I'm, like, trying not to kill myself over here, guys, just, give me a minute. That's, like, that's the thing. You are very dressed up. I half expected you to be in your workout gear because I know you associate us with a workout. But you I are... do. I, I, I decided to put on the fancy. I have one jacket. This is my one fancy jacket. It works once. I, I've given presentations, uh, historical presentations, you know, research presentations. When I'm not being talking about comic books, I'm, I'm a grad student for early American history. And I've done conferences at UPenn and Temple University here in Pennsylvania. And I'm always wearing this one jacket. And, like, fortunately, nobody's, like, shown up to, like, the same con- like thing I've done twice. So, like, they don't know that I've, I have one outfit. Other than this, it's, like, X-Men shirts and, like, Journey shirts and shit. Like, I just, you know, like, I'm a, I'm a bum. But today... Again, I'm of a Rocco, and I, I decided to thought because we have X-Men Red. What I'm hearing, though, is if you ever get invited to the same conference a second year in a row, you're going to have to go jacket shopping. I will have to actually buy a jacket, and this one will actually will have to fit. This is so fancy, it doesn't actually fit around my back, right? Again, the workout thing, like, I bought this before I bulked up a bit. For what it's worth, from this angle, it looks very, very flattering. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm, uh, from my my recordings closet here. I'm. Uh... Just don't turn around, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's true. All right, so we're gonna ask you the same three questions we got out of Broken Record last week. Tell sure. us all about you, which you kind of just covered. We want to hear your X Men journey, how you stumbled into the X Men, and then how much of Krakoa are you actually following? All Give right, well. It all. Well, I want to first give a, a shout out to Broken Record. He did such a great job, and I'm I'm on the East Coast. You guys are on the West Coast. If you don't mind me uh, throwing out a mild bit of location <laughs> here, we've talked so about it. We're good. It, it's uh, what almost eleven o'clock here at night. You had that poor boy up till two a.m. to talk about the X Men, which is wild to me. You guys, it's just oh poor. So if you're listening, Owen, you have my utmost endearment. You just undersold it. He we started recording three AM his time. Started at three AM. <laughs> well okay, well what was the question? So how do we start what is my origin point in the X Men? So uh, around nineteen ninety I'm thirty eight years old. So around nineteen ninety one I was about seven years old and my sister had come home with this metal tin of uh, Marvel cards. 
right? She's had the 1990 and the 1991, and some boy at school had given it to her, right? And she was just showing them off to me, right? And at the time, these cards were the hottest thing for kids our age, just period, full stop, right? And uh, so we all bought them. There was card shops around in Staten Island, New York, right? Um, and we would, we would buy these cards all the time, right? And we'd trade them. And to me, there was one card that really stood out, right? And if you want to look it up, I believe it was Art Adams that did the art, and um, who's amazing, right? But it was it was Archangel in the Walt Simons, the classic Walt Simonson blue and pink like thing with this right, and it's it's this gorgeous shot, and on the back it said, you know, he was once the X Men known as Angel until Apocalypse changed, but something like that, right? And so I, as a kid, immediately had to go find that comic, The Wary Change, right? And I never actually found it, right? It wasn't until I was an adult that I knew that this is Fall of the Mutants, right? That's all that. Um, but I would go into all of these old comic shops in Staten Island and then when, uh, Long Island where my grandparents lived and look and I'd pick up back issues of X Factor, right? Um, and that happened for a long time. And, and then I faded out when I... I uh, got a little bit older. I went to Spawn, right? And I was in Spawn for a while. And then I switched over to DC, right? Fell out of the comics. We came back, switched over to DC. And I was a DC fan all the way until uh, the end of Blackest Night, where I was just like, I've had enough. <laughs> you know, like, this is a good jumping off point. And I didn't jump back in. And as for the X-Men, like, it was maybe about four or five years ago, I was like, it occurred to me that I'd never actually read the Dark Phoenix saga. Right, and so I was like, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the Dark Phoenix saga." Right, and then I just decided to go back to the beginning of Claremont, and then read all of Chris Claremont. Right, I'm gonna go all the way back, and I don't read fast. I like an issue or two before bed, and a few issues on the weekend. Right, it took me a few years, but I got there, and then I just kept going, and I read all the way to the end of the 2000s, right to the 12, which is a terrible fucking story. I never read the 12. <laughs> no excuse. It's not the worst X-Men story. That is the, uh, um, that's Operation Zero Tolerance. A lot of people will say Dra the Draco. Operation Zero Tolerance is the worst fucking X-Men story that's ever told. There's, there's no excuse for a comic book to be that bad. And I'm usually like a positive guy. Like, I'm like, well, it wasn't for me. Maybe it wasn't what I wanted. This just is bad structurally. It just ends. Like, it's just like, do, 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 do. Oh, it's this horrible thing. Make None of it makes any sense. And then it just stops. It's just like, everyone just, the, the bad guy bastard, they pull his funding. They're just like, yo, he, he ran out of money. And then his like big move is like, like, like they stole the X-Men's fucking TV. Like, the X-Men come back to the mansion and they're like, like, where's all of our furniture? Bastion stole our furniture. Curse you! And that was like the fucking. That's it. That's the story. That it's the worst fucking story. Uh, Operation Zero Tolerance. There's like a weird hobo camp. Like Wolverine is like hanging out in the hobo camp for no goddamn reason, and they turn out to be robots. Like they're like, oh, robot evil hobos. Like it's just fucking bad. Anyway, sorry, that's way off topic. But uh. Anyway, I picked up I picked up the X-Men Gold era, and I, I jumped in. X-Men Gold is also really also bad. Uh, but I, I, I got through um, that, went back, Marvel Unlimited. I went back through, like, Wolverine and the X-Men, the Utopia era. And then I was here for when Krakoa launched, so I was, I was reading it week by week. And it was way different, right? Because you have Hickman. And Hickman is, he's so Kurt Vonnegut for superheroes. Yeah. Right? Like, he big brain science fiction and also these really funny little characters. Right? And uh, he's he's very Kurt Vonnegut. And so, like, it's like, oh, he, this is like Slaughterhouse-Five, but with mutants, right? And it's really Absolutely. cool. Um, 
And so I'm I'm in it, right? Like I'm in this real, real deep. I bother people about it constantly as much as possible. I have a TikTok where, God bless them, less than 700 people. Um, and I, I just do dramatic readings all the time and, and like lore videos, right? And uh, and that's what I do when I'm not when I'm procrastinating at home. So. You know what? Your 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 dramatic readings are the best. I've tried my hand at a few dramatic readings, and like as soon as I've seen you pulling them off, I I backed off because I was like, there are people that do this better than me, and I have I have left it to the king. There's a guy by the name of Daniel Does Voices who is earth shatteringly good yeah. at it, but he doesn't do X-Men. He mostly, he does like the Joker and he does like Batman Joker and like Dr. Manhattan. But like, I look at that guy and I'm like, I like, I, I would like to be that guy. That's, that's the man. <laughs> so if you are on TikTok and you, 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 uh, you're looking for people to, to, to play with in that regard, that Daniel does voices is t- head of the class, right? Top of the game. So. All right. I did not prepare a game this week because we have eight issues to get through. So uh, I'm going to give guest first pick. Do you want to start Immortal or do you want to start Red? I'll go Immortal. It's the first one on my notes. I have an entire thing of notes here. Written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Lucas Warneck. Technically, this is a Kitty Pride issue. So we see a quiet council meeting through her eyes. Storm reports on Araco's recovery efforts, and Exodus complains about the Phoenix Foundation extending resurrections to humanity. And eventually, Hope reminds him of his own words about Jesus sharing miracles to get him to relent. Kitty starts to muse that perhaps the quiet council is finally working as it should when Mr. Sinister walks in. Emma kneels him, dry doctor stasis, Destiny warns Exodus he's about to kill Hope, so Exodus takes him out. Kitty comments this seems like a dumb plan for Sinister, and it's revealed that this was the death of Moira 6.1. A flashback reveals a meeting between Sinister and Destiny where they talk about Judgment Day and how he didn't get judged. She encourages him not to give up, and so he sets about planning his next move. He repairs two new Moira clones, 6 and 7, and reveals to Psycat and Professor Plod, his cat internal accomplices, that each Moira clone shows more signs of genetic decay, and he doesn't know how many more fresh save points he can make. We see Moira 6.2's version of the same events play out, again through Kitty's eyes. He uses a boom-boom bomb to destroy the council chambers, but Destiny had warned them, and they all evacuated. In his third life, he's jumped by Mystique as soon as he gets there. Kitty appears more and more exasperated each time. Uh, By life four, he realizes he can't go after Destiny, and we get a quick montage. Life four, he wears battle armor with a big gun, but Hope uses storm powers to fry him. Life 5, an even bigger gun, and Storm herself fries him this time. Life 6, he brings a celestial gun that shorts out and he has to kill himself. 7, he tries to snipe them from a distance, but Destiny warns them all. 8, he uses a psychic trap to pop Xavier's head, but Emma punches his head in in diamond form. And in 9, he transforms himself into a hideous octopus monster, kills most of the council, but Hope escapes with Exodus and he's forced to kill himself again. This sends him back to the drawing board. And in what I consider panel of the year, he consults with Dark Beast's head floating in stasis, who threatens to kill him if he doesn't let him out, and Sinister assures him he'd be disappointed to learn he's no longer the Darkest Beast. He finally comes up with what he considers a foolproof plan, and we see one last version of the meeting. Using a cluster of Professor X brains he cloned, he manages to incapacitate all the psychics, kill Professor X and Emma in an instant, using a combination of Gambit and Harold Leland's powers. Uh, he makes a communion wafer that shoves in Exodus' mouth, kills him, which then lets him take out Hope. He gloats, assures everyone he's not like Stasis, and flees. 
The council frets this is the end of resurrection. Colossus mentions possible contingencies. And finally, Kitty announces she knows what's going on and that Sinister is going in the pit. So when I logged on Reddit yesterday, the first comment I said called this a filler issue. And I cannot figure out how anyone could consider this filler. Yeah, that's a wild statement because this is a setup issue, right? Yeah. Um, this is the Sins of Sinister setup. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because that's next month, and we're 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 putting it. What I thought was an odd choice, and it's I it's really this is my favorite X Men book, right? Going out right now because I love the perspective issue. This is the first time I think that this mechanic has failed this book because Kitty is really incidental to this plot and doesn't re- doesn't need to be. If you took Kitty Pride out of the Kate, sorry, if you took Kate out of this plot altogether, it would change nothing. I, I agree with you. This is the weakest use of the individual focus aspect. I think Kate's role is gonna play into the next issue, the second prelude issue. And I don't, I have not looked. I don't remember who next issue focuses on. But that's there's there's two prelude issues before it's truly synthesis. It's this issue and is it eleven or is it ten? Ten. Okay. Um, it's not a coincidence that she kept getting more and more irritated each time, and then knows. So whether it's going to be some new play on her phasing powers, let her realize the timelines were getting reset. There's there's more to her just suddenly knowing like, oh, I know what's up. We're going to pit him. You could see by the the each each of the, the clone deaths, she was more and more exasperated. I, I can see that. I think I, I think I'm kind of on the, the stance of like, her role was crucial however her perspective was not for this issue like yeah i don't think it's required to have her inner monologue for instance to have her go i know what's up (laughs) and then run out the door like it could have been from anyone else's perspective and that's fair same effect i think what what's fascinating about this book in general not just this issue but this issue was as another highlight of it is that sinister's only friend in on all of Krakoa is destiny, and it is a yeah. one-way friendship. <laughs> it's it's true, and it's great because he doesn't really view her that way. Sinister only sees Sinister, right? He's the only person who's real, and we learned that in the last issue, right? That's that perspective. I'm the only one who's real in this universe, but Destiny throws a cog, a wrench in that work because she's the only one who's able to tell him, "Don't do something." Yeah. Don't be a coward, Nathan, is what she said at first, right? When 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 he first in the what two or three when Celine's monster is attacking and he's like, I'm just gonna shoot a Moira and we'll do this all over again. And she said, Don't be a coward. And then this time she said something very similar to him too. And he stops and he goes, ah, damn it. She's right. <laughs> and right and she hates his guts, right? She she dripping with disdain. This is what she does, right? She is a she's the star of the era, right? Like ever since Hickman brought her back and refocused her into this sort of yeah. sardonic character. But she she does not respect him at all. She never uses the name Sinister. Yeah. That's she says Nathaniel. And that's a moment, right? Because we're in Krakoan culture. Mutant names are important. Mutant names, mutant dress is so key to the culture. She does not recognize Sinister as a mutant, right? She she goes, no, you know, you are Nathaniel. 
right? And you are up to something, but you are useful, right? Like, I think that's a fascinating aspect of this relationship. And this book has really pushed that forward. Absolutely. He doesn't go to Emma or anybody else. He goes to Destiny and he goes, what was it? Did you fail? I wasn't even a judge. And Destiny, again, it's very one-sided. She's just like, I wonder if, if this Dr. Stasis was judged. Bye, Nathan. Fuck off. You know, like, <laughs> and she's off to do her own thing, right? Um, I really love that. Also, Exodus is a youth counselor, and I just wanted to get that out on the air. <laughs> he is a youth counselor, right? Yeah. Like, he's one acoustic guitar away. I mean, if if they could kill you, that's what it, Exodus is, right? I, and, I I know that man. I I know that human. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he is a he is he has a man bun and an acoustic guitar in another world, right? Oh, I I grew up in a red county in the early two thousands. I've met many of that youth group leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Exodus for you. You know. Uh, also, to the point uh, about being judged, I do find it interesting that he's straight up just like, yeah, no, I I wasn't judged. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't. I uh, and that is an interesting story point, and it's it's. Well, because you know who else was not judged at all, despite desperately wanting to be judged, is the clone of Craven. So I wonder if it has something to do with him not being the true Sinister. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the heavy implication, was that yeah. he felt like, at least, that he was not judged because he's not really alive, and that was clearly rubbing him the wrong way as he had that conversation with Destiny. So, But that, that boils into, I guess, we'll get into that. In, in other books because I think there's a question of identity that runs really yeah. strong in um, in Dark Web and New Mutants. It's, I was a little surprised yeah. to have kind of that question come up here because it is so heavily a theme in Dark Web, which we'll get to, but... Um, okay, so I, had, I don't remember if I messaged both of you or just you, Keegan, that I thought it was really neat the way this issue basically turned into a speed run of, like, sinister version of Powers of X right and that that came around in a really interesting way today because i don't know if either of you saw kieran gillen gave like a sins of sinister like uh pep interview like trying to sell sell the uh crossover and he went into really big detail about how uh he al and cy spurrier all view uh sins of sinister as their personal tribute to house of x so i thought that was an interesting that he did a quickie since Sinister's Powers of X, and then apparently the whole crossover is their their shared tribute to the other half of that story. So, so we we have a lot of Moira going on, like Moira's power, and we're yeah. really stretching Moira's power out. Um, there's two things that are I think really interesting here, and that lead into that. One, it's it's a save point. I think it's really interesting. You only have to bring one online, and then you just get all of the information. Like you you just right, which I think is really fascinating, but the second aspect of that is that the degradation yeah and so we can explain away the differences in the the lives of moira in house of x powers of 10 and the current timeline because of the degeneration of the timeline because sinister is mucking things up yeah. in, in right so any deviation is now on the table because sinister is screwing with time it's good it's a yeah i mean it's it is an easy way to explain literally anything at this point well and i mean we we saw the 
we saw the setup for how they're going to clean up Sins of Sinister. That was basically the entire point of Moira 7 there is is he's pre-established a save point that will bring us right back to here after Sins of Sinister is over. So, and they, they had to go through all the, like, that he quick-aged 6, but he didn't quick-age 7, so that there's a reason why he can't use 7 right away, but eventually he'll use 7. Yeah. But not to go back to... I was talking about how how Kate Kate wasn't really the star of the issue, but I do like that. Basically, he ignores her the whole time. She sits at six, and he he never notes anything about her. She's basically a non non entity for all ten lives, and yet in the end, she's the one that figures out what he's up to and sees through it. Apparently, like we don't actually know what she realizes there because that's the big cliffhanger. But I don't know. I still like that narrative like device of. Of, oh, Kate's just the bystander. Kate's just the bystander. Kate's oh shit. Kate's the one that's one step ahead of him theoretically, maybe. <laughs> well, Kate has Kate has a meta power that exists sort of yeah. beyond the scope, and and Kate's meta power was that for about seven years, Kate Kitty Pride was the main character of the X Men. Yep. Um, if you go past Dark Phoenix Saga up to the Mutant Massacre. You know, in the 80s, one of their strongest periods, one of the most critically beloved, right? All of the best stories. That Kitty Pride's the main character. So there's an attachment, like an audience attachment to her as oh, a viewpoint. I, as a viewpoint I think she'll character. always be a bigger deal to me than the books actually make her these days. Because, yeah, those were some of the first, like, when I went to the library, I, you know, I, I discovered it through the TV show and through some, uh, I've told this story. A hospital trip a nurse like just handed me a stack of spider-mans and a stack of x-men so they were those were just random issues but like the first actual books i grabbed were all from that era where it, <laughs> it was the, the later claremonts yeah. and stuff where it was just this K- kitty pride is the the star and so to me she'll always be a big ass deal even though a lot of times she hasn't been for a long time and i mean i feel i feel like a lot of that is like she was the main character right up until hugh jackman entered the picture <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Those were pretty pretty close in time period. So, do we want to talk about theories on why Hope's the the linchpin to Sinister's plan? Do we have any theories? Um, well, she's the head of the five. Yeah, right? she's so he's he's, in, he's interrupting resurrection. He wants to somehow because that allows him to monopolize resurrection, right? Like he's the he's the other guy who can do it. Um outside the five although his process isn't perfect we, we learned that but like their ability to conquer death then they're vulnerable you've made them vulnerable the i don't know what choice yeah well the only choice they have is to go through him and then he just starts creating all of his chimeras meanwhile uh her name is genesis mrs apocalypse's name is genesis <laughs> yeah i you having you on this was gonna come up this poor woman has spent thousands of years leading her people in a war against the demonic horde to be known as Mrs. Apocalypse. I think it has a nice ring to it, but... He was the unfit one. He's Mr. Genesis. She left his ass home. Listen, listen, listen. The Genesis card isn't winning all my matches in Marvel Snap. It's the Apocalypse (laughs) card. So. Are you an apocalypse guy? I'm a blue Marvel onslaught guy. That is my. <laughs> that is how I, I tag people up. I have been in bars and run into people in apocalypse t-shirts, and that has led to us bonding. I have never met someone in a Genesis t-shirt. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing uh, it out there. 
that's that's just poor merch. Much, much, much later. Written by Al Ewing, drawn by Stefano Caselli, and uh, opens with a data page letter of Professor X talking about Gabriel Summers' resurrection and his total confidence in his ability to tame him. We already saw that confidence was, in fact, poorly placed. Uh, we see more from Arbor Magna the day they resurrected him. Havoc complaining to Scott about what a bad idea it is, and Scott reveals to his brother that it's Emma and not Jean that brings him back every time. Uh, and then Alex questions if Charles should be trusted, and X points out that while he doesn't snoop in people's minds, he can hear just fine. Uh, of course, then Gabriel, with all the tampering we've already seen, hatches menacingly. Story jumps back to the confrontation in the diplomatic zone. Deathbird and Vulcan have a short, tense conversation about their son, and Vulcan asserts that he is still emperor. Nova, meanwhile, is furious the mutants would even consider reviving the Mad King. Gladiator starts to blame Professor X, but Vulcan kills him by turning his own confidence-based powers against him. Nova announces that he's arresting Vulcan, but Vulcan uses the Nova Force on him, and Frenzy attempts to call Abigail Brand. Of course... This whole thing is actually Bran's plan all along. She ignores the call while gloating to Mentalo. In the world farm, Wizkid hates being left behind on the ship, but gets approached by a couple progenitors. Meanwhile, Cable's team is fighting the sentry that approached them at the end of last issue and gets the advantage until it wakes its leaders and they take control of Fessy. God, I'm just mispronouncing everyone today, probably. Vulcan is cleaning house and approaches the throne, unleashing his flames on the Empress. Brand looks overjoyed momentarily until she realizes what's really going on and gives the second best panel of the week with her oh shit face. It wasn't Xandra on the throne, but Sunspot! We get a data page of Bobby's plan, and it's the exact opposite of Brand's meticulous planning data page from last issue. Uh, he basically just realized what was up, and while getting ready for a hot tub uh, soak, comes up with his counter plan. Vulcan and Bobby size each other up, and Bobby convinces Vulcan his solar powers would give him the win. Vulcan decides to go get the Empress elsewhere, and Deathbird points out to Bobby that uh, he would definitely have been toast if they actually went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Bobby admits he obviously would have been the loser. Vulcan arrives at the Autumn Palace to take out the Empress, but is instead met by Storm. So that, that page of uh, Vulcan sitting on the throne... That's my cell phone wallpaper now. That was such <laughs> a fucking beautiful page. Storm versus Vulcan next issue. That'll be uh, match great. of the year. <laughs> it always ends the same way. So Storm's hidden power is that she doesn't lose one-on-one -on -one fights. Yeah. If you see one other person in that room, then she's vulnerable. But if she's one-on-one, -on -one, it's Callisto, Tarn the Uncaring, um, God, Mag, uh, yeah, Maro, Maro, back in the 90s. Like, whenever you, especially if you give her a knife, she's throwing lightning bolts and fucking up the black head, right? She can't lose to anybody, right? So Vulcan's just gonna, bro, Vulcan's gotta learn a fucking lesson. You know what I mean? The same lesson that fucking Callisto had to learn in the sewer, right? Like, the same lesson that Tar and the Uncary had to learn, like, every fucking time, right? So I love that well, panel. It's so badass, but, like, it's like, this guy... Oh, yeah, he's screwed. Well... And and it's the last issue before we head into Sins of Sinister, and the book literally gets renamed Storm in the Brotherhood. So like, mm. she has to be looking good right before they head into that. So they... Gladiator has the power set of a white guy in a Facebook comment section. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is 
as long as he is confident in whatever wrong ass shit he's doing, he is unstoppable. <laughs> but like, here comes Vulcan with a Snopes article, and he is just on the ground, right? Well, he like, literally, and he literally looks like that meme of like the crunkled, crinkled up like guy he, he is, lost. He is. I swear, if 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 Vulcan has any social media presence. He is like he'll be like in his whole outfit, but he'll have like sunglasses with like a fish. Um, like if he had a drinking problem, he would be a real menace, right? <laughs> like you know what I mean? Because I've done some nonsense shit and be like, yeah, I got this. That you should not give that man super strength, and yet here we are, fucking fifty years later into Gladiator. Just I love him so much. He must be fucking insufferable. <laughs> Eventually. I do want to real briefly circle back to Vulcan vs. Storm just oh, because God. back in late May or maybe it was early June, Al Ewing gave one of his first interviews about Red and he talked about how the first time Vulcan and Storm go to head to head, he described it as basically a WWE promo battle and that the full on blood match was coming in the future. That's now, boys. We're in the future. We got the blood match finally. <laughs> finally. He operates in wrestling world. Right, he does. Vulcan really does, because he goes on out there and he right. Gladiator is the badass, right? Like he's the old, you know, he's he's uh, Okara, right? And if you send someone out to like seem like a badass, you're gonna have him beat Okara, right? Like or you, know, um, or Cena or whomever, right? Like you're gonna send the old badass, right? Or Tanahashi, right? If we're really going geeky New Japan pro wrestling, <laughs> right? But like. But that's Vulcan. Vulcan takes out Gladiator. And Vulcan has some amazing, amazing lines throughout the whole thing, right? And he looks so cool. And you just, you have to set him up for Storm, right? Because you're going to have Storm beat him. But, like, you know, she can't just beat a chump, right? Like, but what was this line? I like the, uh... Well, you, you know, find that, that we can yeah. discuss him coming out of the egg and mm -hmm. him having flames just perfectly placed over his junk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Glowering naked. Uh, hovering Vulcan. No, I mean it's dangerous. It's a dangerous proposition either way. I, I, I mean, you know, I think that's part of you know his presence, if you will. I am excited for it, though. I'm excited for this match. Uh, you know, Jade Cargill versus Vulcan. Uh, oh, I will God. always just call Storm Jade Cargill. You will probably have the best answer for this, actually, Joe. But has Bobby DeCosta ever been this interesting? Because I fucking love everything Al Ewing has done with him so far. Yes, he been... has. He has. So, there was a... Bobby always had a, a, a trace of this in him. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a little like Kieran Gillian did with Sinister, right? It's that this always existed in Sinister. Right, right, with the puns. Um, Bobby always had swagger, but when he was a kid, he was angry and traumatized still. I like yep. that the, the polycule is still alive. I love that they're mm -hmm. all still still fucking and they're still they're not dropping any of those hints anymore like they have not dropped that plot line at all well it, it, they they put it on the back burner a lot and we only get this we only get little tastes of Skema these days which is yeah. a shame because they are a really good couple uh scott and emma but like we got in in her immortal episode in her issue, yeah issue yeah episode, i was gonna right? say both both years at the hellfire gala but i think this year actually happened in the immortal issue that was like around hellfire but We've we've gotten glimpses of it the last two years, but that's been it's only been really oh, 
and lumped in with Hellfire. Sexy panel where he's just coming back to life and like he's like leaning up against the thing yeah. and she hands him the visor and I'm like that was like who did the and I think that was Lucas Vernack right? Lucas I think you're right. Oh my god, that guy just just pay him whatever he wants. <laughs> just give him as much money. Just uh, X Force thirty five written by Benjamin Percy drawn by Chris Allen Jailbreak. This issue opens with Beast finishing experiments on a still-living prisoner and then discarding his body into space. He's interrupted by an alarm and notices the riot Solemn is leading with Blackmore. Solemn then lectures Maverick for siding with a fascist, while Beast desperately radios for him. Meanwhile, in the Healing Garden, Sage is emphatically apologizing to Domino, who seems more concerned with helping her fight the alcoholism. They get a call from Omega Red that something is happening. Beast is next seen dragging another prisoner out of a cell who he injects with a serum and turns into a giant monster that's meant to defend him. Uh, Omega Red uses his tentacles to access the mycelium network the gates use to find Beast's secret gate and the origin of a scrambled distress call from Maverick. Domino and Red go after him while Sage stays behind. Beast offers Maverick unlimited money to stay, but the mercs leave anyways. Sage angrily tosses a bottle of booze aside. Red and Domino search for Beast while the monster and Blackmore run back through the open gate. Blackmore escapes into the night, but the monster goes for Sage, who uses her quick wits and grabs the bottle she discarded. And with a spark from Black Tom Cassidy, hits it with a giant fireball. Beast assumes Omega Red and Domino are there to help him, but they arrest him and perp walk him back through the gate. Okay. In, in my version of the notes, I said, I liked it, and then in parentheses, Joe can gloat here. <laughs> I can, um, but first I have a, a point that I was, that, that there's something really, okay, I'll gloat first. <laughs> I'll gloat first. Percy's a good writer. Percy's a novelist, right? He, uh, by his own description, right? Percy describes himself as a novelist, not more than a, like a comic writer. So we see in, in how Percy works is he always works in a sort of a three-act structure, and depending on what he's doing, he stretches that. And now, I, the end of this issue is the beginning, I think, of Act 3 of Beast. Or maybe we're kind of in the middle of Act 3 of Beast, but, like, his being arrested, right, um, is the Act 3 of Beast. And, and, again, visual clues. He's so good with his artists. He's so good with his art. He doesn't get enough credit for how succinct he is with the art and how the art tells the story that he's about to tell. If we go back to the hated issue of uh, X Deaths and, and, and Lives of Wolverine, when Moira is about to flee to uh, Jane Foster because she finds out she has cancer, there are three Ravens. Two are flying away from her and one are flying in the same direction, right? Ravens are symbolic of Hunan and Munin, right? Odin's Ravens that are foresight and memory, which is always what Moira had back when she had her powers those are flying away the raven flying in her direction was raven darkle right that's to represent and who does she go see she sees jane foster the valkyrie the only person who in the x-men mythos the x the valkyrie can fight off death right they, they can confront death uh and that's like how percy works with his artist here here's brilliant hank mccoy if you want to go to that very first page of this book right the path to data pages how is Hank McCoy dressed? Look at that. He's dressed like Dr. Frankenstein from the 1931 movie Frankenstein. 
and that'll tell you how this story is going to work. He has the goggles, the gloves, the coat, right? That's the, he pulls the lever, it's alive, it's alive, right? McCoy has created a monster. He's created two monsters, and both of them have gotten away from him. He's created the prison, which Severn Blackmore steals, right? You get that in the thing. And that is a consequence that he has to pay, right? Like, that's going to get out. That's gotten, his monster has gotten away from him, literally. X-Force is the other monster he's created. That is a an extra legal, or it's not an extra legal, it's legal, but like they're they're an organization that has all of this power, and now they have turned on him, like Frankenstein's monster turns on, you know, Dr. Frankenstein. And I think that's really a brilliant collaboration with artist and writer. And Percy again, Percy's really in sync with that. So here here's where you and I are on like totally different level. My my note was Blackmore turning the prison into his new ship is pretty cool, I guess. I'd read that, if written by anyone else. <laughs> oh my! Well, again, that's Frankenstein's monster. And Frankenstein's monster, if we go back to Frankenstein, because that's the cue, cue we're getting. The very beginning of the book, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. In his most, in his dying moments, Frank, the monster returns to the creator and says, why did you do this, right? If I were looking for predictions, Severn Blackmore. It's either Severn Blackmore or Sage. And probably it might be Sage, because that would work, I think, more satisfying conclusion. But one of these monsters is going to return to Beast at the end and say, why did you do this all? Um, so, yeah. I mean, could could the monster even be the uh, the feral Wolverine that he has created at this point? Oh, another good point. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, like Truly you know, his his very good friend who he just kind of tortures casually and all that. You know, you're giving me a perspective right now that I think helps. Not doesn't like fix the fact that this is still Percy's stuff is still my least favorite like thing coming out of Krakoa. But I think oh, it's God. helping me understand why that is more on my taste than anything so my only other note i had on this issue oh no i had two more notes but the other one that's relevant right now was uh i said because after all the, the positives i said still there was a lot of overwritten unearned monologues sage's narration is still way too soap operatic and steals some of the enjoyment for me and mm. i'm realizing though that all of your comparisons so i was a lit major in college and they made, you know, you have to pick a focus, or at least in my program, I had to pick a focus. And I went late American lit because uh, I found early American lit and British lit. I, I would refer to them as like pompous or full of themselves or, um, yeah, I used words like unearned. Like what I always take from, from Percy's characterization of Wolverine, we talked about it on previous episodes. I know you oh, called his, me out on it. Oh, his... His Wolverine is so good. I I will defend yeah, his Wolverine yeah. See, so much. To me, his Wolverine is the corniest Wolverine ever because mm, mm, I I we have to take a moment to to I have to fight you on this. I have to fight you on. Take this. take it away, my friend. There is an issue. Wolverine is is beautifully written by Benjamin Percy in a way that I don't think that really any writer since Claremont has gotten Wolverine. Wolverine is a man with a past and blood on his hands, right? He's got the he's got the Black Widow from the movie story kind of going on with him a little bit. Like he's there's red in his ledger, 
the thing about it is Wolverine's very tired and he wants to not have to hurt people anymore. The irony is that Krakoa is a paradise. It's a paradise for everybody, but Wolverine doesn't really buy into it. He understands that in order for this paradise to exist in the geopolitical world, that someone has to get their hands dirty, that someone has to get their hands bloody, right? He's tired of being a weapon, though, and he's been used as a weapon his for a hundred years, right? By governments, by agencies, by whomever, by the X-Men. He's been a weapon. He doesn't want to be a weapon anymore, but he sees paradise, and these are all people he cares about deeply. They're either children, which he's always like been fiercely protective of children, or they're like his friends and lovers and people he cares about deeply. And he knows that in order for them to have paradise, he has to give up that peace. He's not allowed that peace. So you see in stories from a few months ago when he's yelling at Krakoa, like the tree, and he attacks the tree because he's upset. He's This is him really conflict he's depressed and upset that he has to give up paradise he doesn't get paradise so everybody else can enjoy paradise um of what was it uh wolverine 25 i think is this the last month uh he's talking he's depressed he says i did a reading of it on tiktok by the way joe of x on tiktok but uh <laughs> gotta get the plug in so uh he goes you know when I'm fighting, I'm just lost. I'm just a machine. I'm a hammer made of blood and bone and adamantium. Uh, but every once in a while, and you see like a butterfly flying past him, and he just gets distracted. And he goes, every once in a while, something snaps me out of it. And I realize that things keep going and everything, you know, while we're doing all this crazy stuff, like butterflies need pollen and bakers still need, bakers are still baking, you know, needing dough. Uh, and everything real feels so far. He's like, I miss it. I'm separate from it. I miss it. And everything real feels so far away. And he is just desperately depressed and wants to go home, but can't and has to keep doing it for people like Jubilee or all of these people that he's ever loved to have happiness. This is fucking great, right? Like, this is real pathos. This is, uh, you know, like... you. And I would it. love it if anyone that could write dialogue had written it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I, again, I think, go back to that Wolverine opening in, in 25, where he's really, I think 25 or 35, um, where he's just, he's just depressed. And, like, here's a man who's, who's wrestling with depression and violence, you know? Um, I have to give you a ton of credit right now. I, I, I think you were proving it more to me than anything that he's not, he's not the demon I have made him in my head. That it's just a stylistic thing that I just can't handle the way he writes, and that's okay. And it's twenty six, Wolverine twenty six. I also like how he has a boring boyfriend named Jeff. Like he's just dating some guy named Jeff, and like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like he just has like he. Like, that's who he goes to for, like, sympathy and company, right? Yeah. He has this, like, boring dude he dates named Jeff who, you know, like, they, like, hang out in the backyard and drink beer and, like, raise a daughter together. We, like, have, we have talked about how, how Jeff is a great addition to his his. He is. He is. He's, he's Wolverine's boyfriend. And I love that for him. I think he has a very nice, <laughs> like, he has, like, a boring guy named Jeff who's just, like, away from. And, again, it's Percy, right? Percy says. He feels separate from it. The only person who makes him feel like he's a real person is Jeff Bannister, right? Is this schlubby fucking dude. 
But, you know, that's all he wants. He just wants to hang out and, you know, make out with some schlubby dude named Jeff. And he can't do that because Beast has now enslaved him and forces him to murder people. So it's so good. How do you hate this? <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I hate it. But, but that is okay. And, and we still invited you on and we will still invite you back. Even though you like something we hate, <laughs> I I do I love Percy I love Percy. Uh, I will I will make one pitch to the audience because you made the comment about like this was the best Wolverine since Claremont. Uh, I I think Old Man Logan by Jeff Lemire is better than both the way Claremont wrote it and this. So everybody go read Jeff Lemire's Old Man Logan. Eventually, Omega Red in the blue and gold. Like, it should have been unsettling to see him in full-on X-Men garb, but instead it just felt like the ultimate insult to be brought in by Red, not just... By a man he being tortured. Omega Red, but in... By, it. By, by a man he tortured. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like, he, he, he stuck the carbonadium synthesizer, which is poisonous, right? He stuck a poison thing oh, in yeah. Omega Red to control him, right? Like, he, he fucked with him the most. Absolutely. Um, but Hank is, Hank is going full... Um, MK Ultra, and I think that's worth mentioning. Like, if we're going to talk about it, right? He is he is the CIA Project MK Ultra on these prisoners. You know, um, he's developing assassination tools. Yep. You know, like and this is just fucking wild stuff. How do you not like this? This is great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will say, I made sure to hit it here. I was proud of Marvel, like in the current mm-hmm. political environment, to straight up call him a fascist. It's pretty cool. Like that seems no, like that's yeah. a trigger word in a lot of places right now. And so that was cool to see. That's they made it past the Marvel censors or whatever. For me, I have a problem with Beast being a fascist. Like at my <laughs> core, like that's the problem. You know, you yeah. say, how can you not love this? I'm like, because Beast is a fucking fascist. That's true. Okay. Grammar's not allowed to be a fascist. No. Okay. Do I need to invite you into my dark web now? Ooh. I mean, we can go there. We could. We should. I say that because I have a special background just for dark web. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you're going to have so much to edit. This is going to be like a three-hour Oh, it's going to be a long one, but that's okay. Dark Web, number one, written by Zeb Wells and drawn by Adam Kubert, opens with Ben Riley and Janine on a date, window shopping, when Peter Parker and MJ approach them. Peter announces he'll need his stuff back, and Ben's like, what stuff? And they start cackling. Peter rips off Ben's hair, and then his mouth and other features, one by one. It's all, of course, a dream. He and Madeline are in limbo, discussing their plans to take back everything they believe was stolen from them. Uh, Peter, MJ, and all of Harry Osborne's friends are gathered in the coffee bean to celebrate the late Harry's birthday and remember him. Zeb had to include another reminder that everyone but the reader knows exactly what happened to Peter and MJ. I don't know, I don't know if you guys are following Amazing Spider-Man, so I don't know if you're as annoyed by that plot thread as I am, but we're like 11 issues in. They need to fucking tell us by now. Like This is the dumbest <laughs> like needling ever, but anyways... Uh, he paid for everyone's drinks, but won't go into the, uh, the cafe. Peter tells him he shouldn't blame himself. And so they have a philosophical conversation about clones and if they're the same or if they're different and all, all, all of the things that this whole arc is going to be about. Ben and Maddie meet with Eddie Brock, who has promised information on his son, Dylan. Maddie says soon, but first she must lift some of his burdens and they close a door. Back in New York, demonic possessions of anything and everything start, reminding everyone of the original Inferno. 
statues attack and a horse-drawn carriage grows teeth, that sort of stuff. Peter immediately recognizes it while Cyclops and Jean debate if they should, you know, give Maddie benefit of the doubt. Chasm attacks Norman Osborn, who attempts to put his gold goblin gear on, but Ben rigged it to explode. Maddie unleashes Venom, but realizes quickly she wiped too much of his mind and he's returned to his feral eat Spider-Man's brain state. Before we get into anything plot specific, Keegan. Yeah. Should this just be de- delegated to around the, <laughs> the universe? Like, I, I, when they announced this, I thought it was more X-Men based. I, I, I feel like in future issues, yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, I mean, I guess we have to talk about the the Duggan Dark Web X Men issues. So I mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll decide. We'll see. It'll depend on how important they end up being. If they all, you know, no, I'm going. I'm going to hold off until <laughs> we'll we play get by ear. We don't need to have this debate an hour and a half into this episode. <laughs> Tell you, it's going to be a long episode. I'm sorry. That's no, my no, fault. I ramble. I, I ramble. Uh, Keegan, I have to know. You're the Venom guy. Yeah. So this is. This is a big movement on the, the the Eddie Brock scale. So, where are you on this? This shit sucks. <laughs> That's my official statement. Okay. Um, you know, here's the thing, and 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 the the you know, I I almost feel like the fake Venom guy, you know, because I love Venom so much, and that's a lot of like my identity on TikTok was my growing love for Venom. Uh, it was all through my man Donny Cates. Like I used to think that symbiote shit was the cringiest, try hard, hot topic, clearance rack <laughs> bullshit in the world. I hated <laughs> symbiote stuff. Like I've, I always thought it was cringy. <laughs> and then my buddy was like, "Read King and Black, read Donny Cates's run," and I did. And I was like, "Yo, Eddie Brock is my dude. That is the most Keegan Core guy in the world. What?" Yes. So, like, Donnie is responsible for my love of Venom. Uh, So, anything that takes away, like, that, you know, like, just dad trying to do his best for his son that he is completely screwed over, kind of lovable loser. He's just an ex-con trying to get back his kid. Yeah, you know, it's like, anything that takes that away, I'm just like... We know what's extra, extra frustrating... Hmm. Is you know it's only gonna last for this storyline, and then he's gonna be right back because Ewing story, Ewing and Rom V's story is only half over. They're not gonna right. abandon what they're telling. So we've got Feral Eddie for this, it's, and it's then it's just it's just like and it's just like the way that that dumbass War of the Realms thing derailed Kate's Venom run for like a good three issues. Uh, like it's the same thing, if you ask me. I've never understood why Marvel does it this way because DC will just have the crossovers happening and they'll have their main event ha- or the, their main stories going. And if the main story is contradicting it, they'll just let you figure out the timeline later. Yeah. Marvel loves to do this thing where they'll interrupt these long epic runs and you've got this awkward middle section when you buy the Omnibus in 10 years where you're like, what the fuck's this? What's Dark Web? But you gotta flip through it because it technically happened. Long yeah. nothing. Sword. It was issue two when King and Black happened. As an X Men reader, I wanted yeah. King of Black to go the fuck away. I yeah. Just, but here's if we're talking about Venom here, I want to talk about. I am not a Venom guy, right? Yeah. So I don't. I here's what I never 
liked Venom as a hero. I shouldn't say I never. As a kid in the 90s, Venom was great. But, like, as an adult, with I, because the original Venom story works like this for me. It's really a story about rejection. It's a story about not accepting rejection well. You know, both Peter and, or both the symbiote and Eddie are dealing with rejection from Spider-Man and Peter Parker, respectively. Um, it's the story about an, an ex, it, two exes basically getting together and causing fucking havoc, right? And I was just gonna say that's why they had to revert to that state for this arc is because that's that's both Ben and Maddie. That's that's exactly you just described them. They're two right. exes, two spurned exes that found each other. So why they're doing it makes sense, but I also totally understand why as a fan of modern Venom that would be really <laughs> frustrating. It makes sense to me. Uh so I have to be honest, I, I I'm I'm kind of where you used to be, Keegan, with the symbiotes. Like, I'm actually really into Romvi's Carnage for the first time. I've always hated Carnage until the last year, and, like, this this current Carnage run is really fun. But uh, the only Venom I ever liked was, was Flash Thompson as Agent Venom. <laughs> I know it's a dorky as hell run, but I really had fun with it. That opening scene, the you don't need this anymore. Yeah. This is a direct callback. Zeb Wells loves Inferno. Loves Inferno. Oh yeah, that was really clear. That's really clear in a lot of things he's done, but especially this whole this whole issue. Yeah. If you go back to two thousand nine, his New Mutants run, the whole arc of the issue is what happened to the babies that they were trying to sacrifice in Inferno, right? Like that was the follow up. He's he really is an Inferno guy, and I read I read his run in uh, college, but it's been ten years, so I'm definitely here for as much. It's a very good book, but um. Uh, the a nothing being in a nowhere place abandoned them all alone. That's a scene from X Men number two thirty three, way back in nineteen like eighty eight, um, in the Outback era, right? And that's the that's what happens to her right before she turns into the Goblin Queen, right before she sells her soul. Um, that's in that same dream sequence. And she's a mannequin, right? Jean has come and taken... Scott strips her of her face, right? Takes her hair off, rips off her eyes, her mouth, sticks it on this mannequin, which turns into Jean Grey. And they take her baby away, her child, which again, we go back to Eddie and his son, right? Like, the reason is that Jean took her husband, her family, and her life, right? Um, Away from her and left her this empty shell that she had to act out. She had to lash out uh, to, to, to establish herself, to be a real person. She had to get rid of these people. With Eddie, it's, this is where Maddie really commits a crime. Because with Ben, she's pointing it out. In the, in the very opening scene, she recreates the Inferno scene with Ben. Right. And she says, and she's forming an emotional connection with him. She's not really manipulating him. She's going, they did the same thing to you. They can do the same thing to you. They're taking everything away from you. They've already done that. You know, like, you have to you have to do this. So you have to establish yourself, right? You have to tear these people up so you can be free of them. But with Eddie, she does this to Eddie. This is her point of no return. Because she inflicts that on Eddie. Eddie has a sense of family. Eddie has. He's trying to get back to that, right? Like, Eddie knows who he wants to be. She takes that all away from him just like Scott does in the dream or like Peter does to Ben. 
Uh, so this is where her villain mode, because you're going to get a lot of Maddie defend. Maddie did nothing wrong, right? Because it's a very popular podcast that will defend Maddie to the death, right? Much more popular than, right? But, but in truth, that's the line where she really, she, she becomes her abuser. Um, right. So. I do, I, I'm not going to overly defend Maddie here, but I am really afraid that this book isn't going to treat her delicately enough because I loved the arc Vita Ayala. Is that how you Vita say Ayala, yeah. appreciate the arc they gave uh, her three or four months ago and would love for that to be honored. And I'm really afraid that the abrupt exit from New Mutants might mm. be because this book, the writing was on the wall and it wasn't going to treat that arc delicately enough. I, they, you can't have an inferno without a dead baby, and mm, and Venom's got a kid kicking around who is currently missing. Uh, so I'm saying that there's a reason why we haven't seen that kid show back up, and uh, it's just on Maddie's plate. Okay. Okay. Also, bad shit happened to the X Men at the Rockefeller Center. I was just at the Rockefeller Center about a week ago. Um. And they no, would know this. Buggy didn't eat you or nothing. <laughs> no, no statue came alive. <laughs> the the town I live in uh, is more prone to horse and buggies than than so. Like I am well used to horse and buggies. Right? <laughs> but um, and that's at Columbus Circle, by the way. You're gonna run into horse and buggies. You're not gonna, not at Rockefeller. Right. right. Uh, sorry. Let me do New York at you. Um, but like if we go back to X Men '99, that's the famous like they're hanging out at Rockefeller Center. And they get attacked by Sentinels, and that starts off the whole Phoenix saga, right? So you'd think they'd be like, you know what, let's just skip this place. Nothing good ever happened to us at Rockefeller Center. The last time you got kidnapped by an alien and shot into Jamaica Bay uh, <laughs> for a couple of years, right? We had a whole thing on the moon. Let's skip the tree at Rockefeller Center. Let's just see a show in the village, right? But And then they get attacked by uh, Inferno monsters instead. So nothing good ever happens in Rockefeller Center. Some bad places. So you guys did see where Zeb Wells said that, that he they would have called this Inferno if Hickman hadn't literally just used the name. I did, did not, not see, see that. that. No. Yeah. So so the, it, it it is it was gonna be even more overt than like what we've already seen for overt like follow up or homage or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, oh this was originally going to like I maybe not even originally. Maybe it was just he would have loved to because I guess it's been a year and a half, so he's had plenty of time, but. Yeah. He said Oh he... by the way, Textus Tenebarum means the text of darkness. Oh. That was a uh, I looked that up for my notes when I was doing this about two hours before we recorded. Uh, <laughs> I was just trying to jot things. I want I wanna no one's asked me to be on their podcast. I'm like, I have to take notes. I, I love the like, thoroughness. Yeah. <laughs> I go a little more in the... depth when we have two or three books, but eight books, my notes were very, very haphazard because I was... had to go through it. I read all of these twice. I had to, which is a lot. I, I, I read them all twice too because I read them just for fun and then I have to read them as I type my recaps. But <laughs> One million zillion jillion dillion cotillion times later. So, wait, wait, so you guys are not excited about this. You guys did not like this book at all. Is that No, I'm not saying I dislike Like I actually, as someone who really is hating the Spider-Man run, I liked this more than I thought I would. For one, anytime Adam draws a book like i'll be there for for his art um 
I'm actually liking the Norman Osborn story as much as I'm not liking Spider-Man as a whole. Like, we all know where it's going to end, but mm. it's still neat to see, like, Sin's eaten Norman attempting to stay clean and the beautiful disaster it's going to be. Uh, I really like the design of Hallow's Eve. I, 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 I don't know that I love her setup, but I don't know, kind of the Hobgoblin-ishness of it to me. It's got kind of half Maddie vibes, half the Hobgoblin, and it looks really the, cool. Like the Demo Goblin, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. I would say if I had to put a number on it, I'm like a six. Like, I'm more than more than halfway too excited, but I'm not, like, super invested by any means. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've read, you know. It, it's just, I'm not that into it. And that checklist also decreases my excitement because no, God, it's yeah. it's like half our pull list for the next month, and a lot of them don't look particularly interesting. Like if it was just the Duggan issues and just the the main uh, book, maybe I'd be a little more excited. I also I'm really digging Ewing's Venom book, so having that derailed has definitely derailed my excitement a little. Censor <laughs> Sublime in two billion years in the past first. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, Keegan, go. I'll go either way. I don't. Uh, let's go to the past. I have thoughts. Okay. I have thoughts. Marauders number nine, written by Steve Orlando and drawn by Eleonora Carlini. We're still two billion years in the past, and Commander Nightfount is the leader of the Unbreathing, planning his next attack on the Threshold. Meanwhile, in Threshold, Sublime has taken over Fang and is attacking the Marauders. Tempo, Aurora, and Somnus try to save him, and realizing they can't, Somnus uses the dreamscape to make his death painless. Sublime continues his assault, and the eruption team that Nightfount sent arrives. Aurora manages to clear the board, but in the escape, one of the Threshold Three, a mask, gets taken. They reach Helix Home, the sanctuary of the Threshold, and meet Grove, their leader. Uh, there are both mutants and humans there, which pisses off Cassandra Nova. Remember, she's, she's on the team. Yeah, she's here too. Uh, we find out Threshold uh, mate like fish in big spawning pools. Because, of course, mutants were poly polyamorous way before it was cool. Bishop reveals his plans for the last boost fruit involved taking out Sublime and Archaea at a molecular level. And then, finally, we catch up with Amas, alive but in unbreathing custody, confronted by Commander Nightfount, who, reveal re who reveals himself to be Strife. Are you a big strike? Uh, like I am a big fucking strike okay. fan. This is the this is the immediate. How do you get Joe to like your stuff if you put fucking strife in it? That was you I, threw out. You threw out there's something in this book, but was the immediate way to get Joe in. And I was one. I I was trying to figure out if it could be anything else. Strife but, is the way, baby. Okay. Strife okay. is the way. I love strife. He is the crown prince of the drama god. All this episode, I've been talking about drama god villains. This man, this man was like, how do I get revenge for being put up for adoption? He was put up for adoption in the future and lived as like a prince, right? So he goes back into the past, kidnaps his parents, monologues at them while feeding them baby food, right? Like this is strife strife is the theater he's an evil theater kid and truly i love that for him i cannot uh, always and forever also he's also kind of like gay lord zed right <laughs> like you know what i mean like if lord zed was like you know like picking up 
Like, I... <laughs> I mean that with love. I, uh, you know, he's the theater kid Lord Zed. And he has these monologues, like in the beginning, you know, of the book where he's sitting on his throne and he's surrounded by his underlings and he's soliloquying about the on about the the uh, about the crushing them with the virus love him i love strive forever i will say that soliloquy was much better on the second read once you knew who it was it's strive 100 yeah again he's he's gay lord zed and i love him <laughs> i love him forever uh i i will always love strive he no, uh, I feel bad for Strive. When, when he showed up in Cable, and he was just like, gonna do this ritual, and, like, young Cable had, like, rescued half the baby, so he's just like, well, the recipe said ten, so we only had five, so we just cloned him. That's probably gonna work fine, I, right? I, I love those final stories about Kid Cable. Those were so fun. <laughs> so good, right? Like, and, like, I love Strive so much. Um, I would like to say about this issue, though, Steve Orlando, who is not listening to this, so I can say whatever I want about him. Is a big fucking nerd for making me have to look up what the great oxidization event was. What is the great oxidization event? It is a real thing that happened yeah. 2.4 billion years ago. Yeah, the when... first time first time Bishop brought it up a few issues ago, I had to Google it too, yeah. Fucking nerd, right? <laughs> like, if I see him at a con, I'm stealing his lunch money for making me have to look this shit up, right? So, and this plays into their breathing, right? Because the oxidization came as a byproduct of an increase of bacterial life form in the sea, right? The water. So th when we're talking about their spawning pools and like, this is Steve Orlando going, I read this in a book in college and I'm going to make a whole fucking X-Men story out of this biology book I found, right? And... But it's so weird that they're clearly humans and mutants with the exact same actual mating process as us, so it's really weird that... We don't know. Like they, it's they a weird connection. I think they just walk out of the sea. I don't know if they're actually boning. Uh, Steve <laughs> Orlando also made uh, the horniest book in all the X-Line. Oh, absolutely. Is... I did have a Strife question that, as the Strife mega fan, you could probably answer. I fucking love Strife. Yeah, please. It, is there... Has there been established why suddenly people can immediately tell him and Cable apart? No. Like, there doesn't seem to be any suspicion there that he might be Cable, and I, I, I thought that was always a thing that had to be established. Like No, because, like, nobody's... Like, Cable's just not up to this level of nonsense. That's you know fair, I mean? okay. Like, like when, when Strife is intentionally attempting to look like Cable, it works, but, like, Strife is, like, off, like, I... Like, he's, like, like sitting on top of this box and giving this sort of throne, giving speeches. He's like, oh, I will crush the unbeliever, blah, 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 blah. And Cable's just, like totally not that right cable's just like yep gotta go do a thing right gotta go do my you know like he's like gruff and right and strife is just you know uh i don't know i'm fully convinced him showing up is further proof of what you said keegan these guys are all fucking time liars yeah there's there's no way he showed up if the threshold is really ancient mutants this is they're like remnants of a revived genosha that all went and hit or something there is some they are remnants of some civilization that went back in time there's no way this actually is what threshold is what threshold claims to be i'm fully convinced fucking time liars <laughs> i I'm, I'm inclined to agree <laughs> but i, I want to know where he's going speaking of where he's going what's going on with the lockheed story why is nova just on the team now like when she showed up it was because she was like 
had been doing secret reconnaissance on Krakoa or whatever, however they phrased it. And where is Cerebra? I just feel like Orlando is throwing as many things in this pot as he can, and then is just as they boil over and fall out, we're not bringing them up anymore. Right? There's so much that just hasn't been brought up in like three issues. <laughs> yeah. I what is he setting up here? How are these things coming together? I need to know. It's driving me insane. <laughs> and I, I why is the no why idea. does the art look like fucking the whatever it is Batman Family Adventures? Like it doesn't look like a comic book to me. The art is like drawn in Java or something. I can't. Which I can't you know, handle it's the art. It's <laughs> funny that you say that about this book because I actually feel that way more so about uh, New Mutants now. Oh, see, I'm 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 not hating the new fight. mutants guest art. I I'm okay with the new art. We have to fight about new mutants. I love I'm, new mutants. I I think it's good. Uh, but this with the art, I would say this, and I say this uh, maybe to uh, sorry antagonize antagonize uh, Keegan. This would be good art for Eleanor Carlini. Would be good on a Power Rangers book. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I mean. Right, so Bulk Ranger, it's my thing. I don't hate the art here. I like the art here. I do hate Power Rangers comics. Fuck those. But you don't. You don't. You I don't. Like... I don't. I don't mess with Power Rangers comics. I just, what? it's like a thing. All of them, or because like, isn't there like a fa- oh, there's like a thousand now. Like, like, I, feel, I feel like well, I keep getting told different runs I need to actually check out, and I haven't yet. Here's the thing. All right. Here's the thing. Bulk Ranger is going to be revealed as a fake Power Rangers fan. I think, and I'm talking about the character. I am talking about the character. Talking about the character. I think Lord Draken is dumb as shit. I I hate Lord Draken as much as I hate John Lennon. Both bad ideas. Um, I've read nothing of it, but I think the character design looks really cool. Like, every time I see him pop up, I think it looks cool. (laughs) Mid, like Cincinnati. Call me MJF. Mid. Fucking Cincinnati. Oh, good lord. I, listen. They do some wild shit in those comics. They do wild shit. Power Rangers is simple. Okay? It's it's simple. You show up, 20 minutes... They get their ass beat. They get a big robot. They win. Simple. That's what it needs to stay as. I I I think Eleanor Carlini's art is where a lot of this breaks down, and I don't think it's succinct. I I which isn't to say anything about her art. I just don't think that her art works here. And a lot I of think, the action, a lot of the action scenes are indecipherable for me. They are hard. They're hard yeah. to follow, and. Marauders always. I think I said this. I think I said this on TikTok weeks ago about Marauders. Marauders fails to deliver the promise that it was giving you, which was that we're doing a rescue thing for mutants. The original premise that Duggan had, which was like we're gonna go explore the geopolitics of what refugees look like in countries that don't agree with the treaty. And I love that book. That whole, that whole run was fun as hell. But he got sidetracked into the Hellfire trip, you know, which was fine because it was interesting. We didn't have a Mortal X-Men at the time, so we got a lot of the Quiet Council intrigue between X-Factor and that, right? Like, um, And now 
like Orlando comes on and Orlando says, we're getting back to that premise. And the minute he gets on the book, the minute he gets on the book, it's like, let's go into space with the Shi'ar and let's go into the, the past, the two billion. Let's talk about biology. Events. Plus, they've time traveled twice. We're on issue nine and they've made two separate trips to the past. Two, right? <laughs> like, this guy's on run. So, I, you know, it's, it is my least favorite book with Legion of X, I think. Uh, taking a spot. I, I still can't believe that you're that down on Legion, but I, at least I, at least so, we no. can all here agree on Marauders being yeah, low Marauders on the list. I, I said it to you guys today. I found myself bored halfway through this issue with Marauders. I like the art on Marauders better than I like the story on Marauders, and I feel like I'm the inverse on New Mutants. I like the story on New Mutants better than I like the art on New Mutants. I thought, me, I thought okay. this New Mutants and Extreme were going to be like the toughest reads for me, so I stuck them early in the stack to try to <laughs> yeah. get through them. And oh God, yeah. I will tell you, of the three, this is the only one I still struggle with. Like, I, I, We'll get to Extreme, we'll get to New Mutants, but this was the only one out of the eight we read today that like was actually a hard read for me. Like I struggled to care about this issue this to an extent. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, I have one more speculation thing I want to talk about, and then we can move on because I realize we're over two hours. Uh, if one a.m. here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Keep going. I uh, if if they aren't time liars, what is the relationship between Akara and the Grove? Like. Like, I feel like it, 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 it's further impossible because we literally, like, we had the whole thing about the uh, the machine that is Earth at the end of Judgment Day, like, can sees Krakoa as its parental figure and all, all that shit. I just feel like it doesn't fit in the mythology of Krakoa, Akara, and all that stuff to have this this two billion year old mutant. Uh, unless it... This is, good. this is a gas leak season. This whole book is a gas leak season. <laughs> I do new mutants because I actually kind of, I actually am really digging the mutants part yeah. suddenly. Like I, I would say this was the second funniest book. I got a lot of laughs out of it. Hmm. Written by Charlie Jane Anders and drawn by Alberto Albuquerque, uh, Sheila Sexton, aka Escapade, is a U man. Well, she swapped places with one at least. Shella, damn me in my pronunciation. Shella Sexton, aka Escapade, is a U man. Well, she swapped places with one at least. Since the whole crew was captured last issue, she has swapped places with one, and it has led to some funny hijinks while she tries to find Cerebella, including being forced to make coffee by some co-workers. We find out a little more about her powers. New man she swapped with seems disoriented, confused. When she finds Cerebella, she asks her to just kill her and uh, gets mad when... Es- es- <laughs> when she finds Cerebella, she asks her to just kill her and gets mad when Escapade refuses... Uh, Sublime shows up, and desperate, she tries a second swap and takes Cerebella's place, sacrificing herself. Cerebella runs back to the cell to free her friends. Wolfsbane convinces the group that they have to abandon her. Morgan waits at the unconscious U-Man, though, and miraculously, Shella swaps back when her powers deplete completely. As they make their escape, they end up on the roof where Shella, Shela, Shella, you just corrected me, what was it? Shella. (laughs) Realizes they're in the exact place of the vision she's been trying to prevent. This is where and how Morgan will die. All right, Keegan, you have to lead us. Have you looked at it? (laughs) To me, it pops. I love it. To me, it totally fits new music. It looks like a webtoon to me. And I I mean, webtoons are great, but not when I'm reading comics. I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I just don't like it. No, this is fair. I just, to me, Marauders is 100% webtoons. But Mm. this, this appeals to me. 
genuine, I, genuine question when, when you say that. Have you read Webtoons? Uh, I read the Batman one and... Batman one, yeah. <laughs> Batman uh, one was good. But like before, <laughs> before like the story. big guys started swinging in on it, like when it was like Webtoons, Webtoons. I read a couple. Like, like I've said, I have a, a nibbling who yeah. is super into them, so they've pushed me on it, but... Okay. The baby, uh, the baby apocalypse. You had to. I'm sorry, I I call him that because I was thinking about like you were like, oh, I have to put the kid down, right? This is you edit this out. Yeah. I know you don't like it, but like you were like putting the kid down, and I immediately started looking up like apocalypse references because it took me a super long time, and I'm like, this motherfucker's going through the crucible. That baby, like, I right, you are as beneath me. The Babylonians tried to put me to bed once, father, and they, you know. <laughs> With this. I that phrase that were the nibbling. I'm, I still feel. Um, I had seventeen year old uh, was a niece my entire life, and they just came out as as non binary. And when you Google it, that's the only only term for it that they have out there is nibbling, and I hate it because it sounds sounds like a snack. But <laughs> it does sound kind of like yeah, I'm gonna go have a nibble. Yeah, yeah, but. Apparently they haven't come up with something better yet, so sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> Eventually they will. Gen Z's brilliant. I I'm so proud of the Gen Z. And Absolutely. I, like I think they're they're, so they're everything millennial. I think everyone here is a millennial, right? Everything yeah, yeah. we said we were gonna be, Gen Z actually is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean I'm an early millennial, and so like I remember like a lot of the homophobia and racism oh, that yeah. came in this generation, and like and Gen Z is just smashing that down, and I'm just like, man, you guys are way cooler than we were. Like, yeah, you can make fun of us, that's fine, but like you know, like you're gonna do that, but like Gen Z is some of the funniest people in the world. I work with them every day of my life. So they, they are oh, some yeah, of yeah. the funniest people in the world. I also have to work with a lot of Gen Z, right? Because I have to do a lot of right. <laughs> frustrating but anyway all right right i'm like oh, I'm, star- I'm, st- I'm starting to deal with some early alphas because i'm still substituting all the different grades <laughs> so when i go into a classroom I, I get some of the the youngsters oh i'm i deal with college students so i'm i'm doing okay <laughs> you've, you've got the older z still yeah 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 they're 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 pretty they're they're pretty all right by the time that they get there, right? Like, yeah. I, I will say, I, I think, and then we'll get back to our recording. Sorry, yeah, we're way off topic. No wonder this uh, episode's three hours long. <laughs> I, I, I do think the Zs who were in high school for COVID and those who had already graduated, there is a massive personality difference. That's oh, absolutely. going to be felt for decades. Like, I think they might have to change the generational divide lines just based on that alone. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Anyways, uh, New Mutants. I for for a guest arc, I, I the first issue under underwhelmed me, but this was a shit ton of fun. Maybe it's just because I went in not expecting much, but I was giggling the whole time. Like I, I think, uh, the escapade, the new character is gr- a great addition. The as they reveal more about this power set, it's becoming more and more interesting. The second swap, but. And then she had no control over the swap back necessarily. Like all that shit. That was really fun. That was a really cool move. Uh, I want the reveal on who's taken over New Mutants completely though, because we only have one more issue on this guest arc. Like, oh, is, is Charlie Jane Andrews not not doing it? Full-time? It was originally uh, solicited as a three issue guest arc, and I believe it turned into a four issue guest arc. But it's still labeled as a guest arc. So I want to know. I want to see who takes over. I want the next big run because I love the New Mutants cast. I want. I want to bring in some fresh blood. This is a new mutant story in like the best classic way, right? If you go back to the the when the Claremont stuff got good, 
was around the time that Magic joins the team. And there's like an issue where like there's a story where Magic and Danny have to save the rest of the team because they've been like brainwashed by Emma, right? Uh, and it's them versus the world. And we get the them versus the world, you know. And Doug has a couple there. Doug and, and Warlock, you know, back in the day, right? And this understands that. And this has that tone. Uh, but if I could just bring something up. The U-Men, fantastic. Right? There are more in creation, but they're really fucking um, hilarious here. The U- I have in my notes here. U-Men are just toxic fandom and power armor. <laughs> they, we, quote, we must claim what we love, tear it apart, and ultimately control it. If you think about fandoms and, you know, as the U-Men as a, as a metaphor for fandoms, like the U-Men are ripping out mutant organs to, and killing what they love, right? They love yeah. mutant fandom and they kill what they love to try to consume it and make it theirs, you know? And if we look at how, like, a lot of fanons work, like fan canon, um, you know, and when when the narrative that comes out contradicts, like, fanons, like, popular fanons, how aggressive it can get, I really like, this is, to me, I'm like, oh, this is, this is exactly that message, right, of toxic fandom. Absolutely. I, 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 now that you're, you're, you're talking about it, I'm really comparing how enjoyable it was here to a recent DC book that was very heavy on attempting to talk to be commentary on toxic fandom that d- did it really poorly. And I love I love it? the human settling. Uh It was the the most recent Young Justice tie-in for Dark Crisis. It just oh, it derailed really really frustrating ways i have a, i have a few tiktoks about it that i could send you because i i ranted really heavily on it just because it it t- attacked the wrong people for like very valid it was a very valid thing to criticize but it attacked an audience that i don't think causes that issue if that makes sense basically the people the venn diagram of young justice fans and the misogynistic people that hate leg the, the new legacy heroes is just two <laughs> non-concentric circles yeah, like no no one is sitting there like man i really wish they'd used tim drake but also i hate all these gay characters like that, that, that's not the same <laughs> like those aren't, there's no one that has those two thoughts but mm. it was a book that acted like that was everyone that's asking for the young justice characters to be utilized was those people and like that uh, overlap is very like no that's not a thing and instead of giving us a use of those characters after years of not using them they made a four issue long meta commentary that was insulting us anyways that was another derail so yeah uh, i'm I'm having fun with this story like i find it interesting seeing where it's going seeing what's coming up trying to figure it all out like that part's fun for me i like the book itself i had fun with the book I I I think the book is a lot of fun. I think Shella is really interesting. Escapade is when you guys did your X Men draft the other you would you would have drafted Escapade was Escapade. I Storm was one, and either Cerebella or Escapade was like the next one down because uh, I think there's a lot going on with Escapade in a way that makes writers want to write Escapade. Escapade's character is that she does not like her powers. She doesn't yeah. want to use her powers. And she doesn't want to use her powers because her powers are based in identity. And it's about having to pose as someone you aren't, even though everyone around you is going to think that you're that person. 
and she has to pose as that person and not do anything wild or anything or be exposed and be put into danger, right? She's constantly in danger um, and has to displace her own identity. So she hates it. She doesn't use her powers, right? Like, she, this is her being in an uncomfortable situation. I think there's a lot of movement, especially when you consider that this is a teenage trans girl. Um yeah. And and you put her in that situation, and her powers are a metaphor for the larger her larger identity. Um, that out, out of out of this year's voices, not even just that voices, but like all of the voices, definitely the best new character. Best, like I loved that that first introduction to the character. That was really they're cool. on a roll. They gave us Somnus last year, and we didn't talk about Somnus, but Somnus is great in Marauders, yeah. and and like. They really have been putting a lot of care into like introducing these characters in a way. Well, and then using them after they introduce them because that's the one area that we haven't been doing. That's the Spider Verse stuff where they'll introduce really cool Spider Man parallels. Yeah, and they never use them. So I really do appreciate that about these X characters that they're not just you know you hear oh they're just pandering. There's nothing pandering about them. They have all been used front and center, which is amazing, and I hope they continue. Martha, by the way, has a right to be pissed at the X Men. I'm just pushing this through. But Martha, uh, or, or Cerebella, Martha yeah. Johansson, well, has yeah. a good reason to be pissed at the X-Men, right? Like, really good reason. They make, they, they made fun of her for, for being mutilated, yeah. right? Like, they called right. her no girl, right? John Sublime didn't call her no girl. If you go back to Morrison, he called her Martha, you know? Um, you know, she had her body and then her name stripped away from her. You know, like, and so she has every right to be pissed. I think that's a great, again, we're talking about identity and bodies and being in a new body. And like, all of this is such a good metaphor, right? It's a good metaphor for the larger issues, but also I get, listen, I'm a cishet white dude, right? Like, so this is not necessarily, you know, a perspective I can talk from well, but like, as someone with a love of social justice and a craving of equality, like I see these characters and I go, this is a net positive, right? Absolutely. Like to have these ideas. And it's like, cause we have all of these laws going on right now about like say trans girls in sports, right? There was one trans girl, one trans girl in high school sports in Kentucky. And they passed a law about trans girls in, in high school sports to fuck with one girl. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, and so if you are some trans kid in one of these bumfuck awful flyover states, right? Oklahoma, Nebraska, Missouri, right? If you're from, move. Listen, I'm not apologizing for calling those states bullshit. You know, and you read this and you go, okay, you know, my parents, you know, like I get fucked with at school by by the, the kids by the, the teachers, by my local, go by my government. My government takes time out of its day to mess with me, right? But at least here, this is something I understand. And so that's yeah. overall a net positive. So New Mutants is really doing a lot. The story's really good. The characters are really interesting. And the the, the book itself is really important to have. Okay. Extreme, Extreme. X-Men number one. I love this. I love this. This is so good. Written by Chris Claremont, drawn by Salvador LaRocca. This takes place undisclosed years ago, but right after the last volume of Extreme X-Men, grad student Kitty Pride shows up to the Bells of Hell, a cool dive bar she works at to find everyone dead and the evil Ogan, Ogon, 
there waiting sure. for her. <laughs> she fights him, but he kicks right through her intangibility. He reveals she's been hiding in her soul since the Kitty Pryde and Wolverine mini from 1985. She tries to stab him with Wolverine's severed claws, and they snap against his chest. He goes to stab her with them, but instead her outfits magically change to guard matching his. He passes his mask to her, and try she tries to land one last blow, and then wakes up in her room with her roommate... Rachel Summers. Rachel comforts her with some real love and snuggles. Then a badass storm shows up. That that storm design. Uh, the whole team is with her. Bishop, Gambit, Sage, and Rogue. And then Wolverine shows up and he recaps the history with Ogan and how he feasted on her soul. He announces they have to go after him. But Rachel explains there's also this mutant hate group purity they have to deal with. Storm reminds them they're all global marshals now, and they decide to go after Ogun first, but keep an eye on Purity. And then the issue ends with Ogun kind of monologuing to himself. As you do. Keegan. Hmm. Keep reading? Yay, nay? <laughs> I don't know. I... Joe, win us over. Should we keep reading? <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't. Listen, there are things I find about this book deeply, deeply hysterical. <laughs> I won't say that they're great or good, but I find them funny. I already said I, I put it in the stack that I thought I would not enjoy. I had fun. It was like it was a really quick read. Claremont usually for me is too tech-heavy and it'll be kind of a slower read, but this flew by. This was fun. I liked it. Uh, the, so, but, the the big win for me was that Storm design. I love, love the way Storm looks in this issue. I love that Chris Claremont is a cranky old man. <laughs> I love that Chris Claremont's a cranky old man. Because he, at this point, is like, fuck it, they're all together. You know, like, he did not waste that you're sitting in, a ba- in, a, in an inn when you see an adventurer walk in, like, thing, right? He's just like, they're all in the bedroom. Why are they all in Kitty's bedroom? Fuck it, because they're there. Let's move on. You know, like, and that's it, right? Like, that's why we do it. Uh, Kitty has a bad dream. It, this is a Chris Claremont comic, so she is having a sleepover with pantsless Rachel. Uh, and they, they, they cradle each other in their arms, because, again, this is a Chris Claremont comic. This is what he does. Um, they, the University of, um, the University of uh, British Columbia had a multi-year-long project called the Claremont Run, which basically examined kink in Chris Claremont's <laughs> original run, right? Like kink and bisexuality and gender identity and gender fluidity. It's like, and it, they were amazing at it, right? Academic. Uh, this is what the man does, right? He 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 does this. And again, he's just like, fuck it. Uh, do you care? You don't care. You just want to see the guys together and you want to... Oh, and Wolverine's there too, right? Like, he just... Like, Wolverine just shows up. Like, he just like, walks out of the closet. He's like, oh, hey, guys. You know, like, oh, yeah, we're going to do something. You know, like, it's amazing. I love how just, like, Chris Claremont needed a paycheck and this is what we got, right? Like, <laughs> Well, I have to be honest. You mentioned the Wolverine come out of the closet. My first thought was, like, what a weird place for a Krakoan gate. And then... Like, not even a split second later, it was like, oh, no, this is long before Krakoa even existed. No, it's Lila Cheney. Yeah. yeah, it's Lila Cheney. That's, that's, li- that's Lila just popping him in. <laughs> right. She's just like, oh, real. right. She's a plot device. It's great. Because um, he's got to spend the whole issue telling you about the 1987 
Is it tainted? Seven? Uh, no, it's 85. It says, it, it 80, says 85 in the issue, but I don't 80, trust them to be right. <laughs> it is. It's 85. Because the original Wolverine miniseries was from 84. I think this is the follow-up, right? This, he did it with Frank Miller. Um, he did two Wolverine miniseries in the 80s uh, with Frank Miller. This is the second one, and this one was bad. You know what I mean? Like, the first one is really good uh, that he did, and this one is, like, not. And I so this it it confuses me whether like you know what we need a sequel to that one the one with all the ninjas right like the when Kitty Pride becomes a ninja yeah that's the one I don't know why but uh, this book I was gonna skip this book until I had to come on this show and then I was like oh, fuck it I got oh it. see I assumed so, as like, as King King of Claremont fans you'd be the one pushing us to to keep going I think with the King of Claremont fans is probably Connor Goldsmith over there on Cerebro <laughs> I am the lowly I'm well, just well okay. Like, I'm, I, I'm a humble Claremont monger in the town. Out of our tiny corner of the internet, the big Claremont fan. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm but a a humble Claremontian monger uh, selling him in the stands. But not this. Anything, Claremont gets real terrible after a while. I I have a general respect for his tenure, but I, I find even going back and reading the best stuff he wrote pretty, pretty difficult by today's standards. So I, I do not... Yeah, I've even been finding the Gambit series that's been going on just insufferable. But yeah, no, anything he's written post two thousand, I find insufferable. To be good. honest, yeah. like I expected to hate this and enjoyed it slightly more. Like I, this was, but I think it's because of how quickly paced it was. The the stuff in his two thousands run that is good from the Extreme X Men is the uh is the Sage of it all. Okay. Uh, I I think he makes Sage in that era really important and really cool right like she's much more than the lady in the chair you know but um that percy kind of put her in in that spot but like you know claremont loves her and so that's a good thing and again i just love how the fact that claremont's just like hurry up we got a story to tell fuck it let's just move right like (laughs) you mentioned being a cranky old man and i think about how like when i was in college in 2009 that that he already had that he was already the cranky old man who's come back like he came back and did like i don't remember if it was uh, the fall the follow-up to what he wrote night like he he's gone back multiple times to be like i'm gonna finish the story i never got to finish yeah he was, he was already considered the ancient guy 15 years ago and now he, and he's still cranking out stuff he was right. i mean none of it's us charming talk- in its way <laughs> none of us would be talking about x-men right now if it wasn't for him i mean that he is a foundational and his stuff and his stuff in the his original run is great you know but yeah, this is not good. And Fabian, his funniest moment was when Fabian Nacieza uh, uh, retconned Nova Roma, and uh, to being like it was all Celine, right? Celine, Celine, uh, we made an illusion. They're all just British people that think they're Romans in the jungle. And then Claremont was like, "No, that sucks." And he just came back and like he's like, "That retcon never happened," right? Like, and it's the best because it was the best moment of him being cranky he, you know like how dare you retcon me i'm chris goddamn claremont ah, you know, have like, you heard some of his comments at cons this year he's he's got some pretty uh, cranky old man stuff he's saying in person uh, these days yeah let's not <laughs> all right and, you guys ready to go around the marvel universe yeah let's <laughs> all right uh so captain marvel 44 continues to be a preamble for its crossover with duggan's run uh it's brood stuff so i read it it was fine it's it uh, happened it it had the best version (laughs) had the best version of rogue i've read this week so 
power there, considering high bar and other stuff. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but also, okay, the thing I have literally harped on since probably episode one is we need a Wolverine family book, mm. and we're getting it right now on Marvel Unlimited. So I just have to make a sell for this. If you have uh, Marvel Unlimited. The Family Snicked. Go read it. It's Family weekly right Snicked. now. It's a fun little book. It's not like it's not not what we envisioned when we say we want a Wolverine book, but it's free if you've got the Marvel Unlimited. And if you read it, there's more of a chance they'll do more with that family dynamic. So the Wolverine Family so Family Snicked. Here's the thing that well, they're on a road trip. Gabby gets them <laughs> together to go on a road trip, and uh, Akihiro does not want to be there. Uh, Laura is playing along, and Logan has decided when Gabby said. Think about all the times we've hung out. Do we have any pleasant memories of not us being torn apart? You know, and so this is like the emotional hook of the book, right? And it's very good. Marvel Unlimited in general, the 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 X Men Infinity Unlimited stuff on Marvel Unlimited is very good. I it's, need to fill my gap there. You've you've convinced me because I skipped Green. I skipped a couple of the other. Green Infinity. was really that. good. That is on you for skipping Green. Green is like a Green. They put in trades. It was so good. That was the only one they've put in trades so far, but um. When often, like you, know, the hard, you know, us hardcore X Men fans often have a character we love, and we go, "Well, we wish we had the slice of life books." But you know, between big stories and crossovers and whatever, we never get to see what like Jamie Madrox and Strong Guy do on their day off or whatever. <laughs> this is what, the, or like, or the Resurrection Protocols when they go wrong. Like we had a story like that in Marvel Unlimited. Um, or an X Men Unlimited. It's it's all there. So I really I really push for those. Right now they're doing a story of the Age of Apocalypse, but the Moira McTaggart of the Age of Apocalypse. And I need to go read that. I've heard really good things. So like Professor X gets dumped into this area of like the Age of Apocalypse, but it's the timeline has been reset because the Moira of the Age of Apocalypse was killed uh, in between, and so now it's like slightly different. It's very good. So go read the go read X Men Infinity. Go get Marvel Unlimited. Seventy dollars a year. It's, it's worth it. All right. Next week. Next week. Legion of X number eight. Which someday we need to have you on for Legion because that's the there. flip of today. I I need to sell you on how good Legion actually <laughs> is. And Dark Web X Men number one. So we'll go back into the web. All right. Uh, we need to give a huge thank you to Joe at Joe of X for being our second ever guest. Uh, you've thrown out your TikTok a few times. Do you have anything else you'd like to plug, sir? I am I'm primarily on TikTok. Uh, please go follow me on TikTok. I am still under a thousand followers. We need to get this guy to a thousand so we can yeah, have that's... him on live to banter like this, but about other things. The get right. him out of his wheelhouse of X Men. Oh yeah, I have tons of stuff too. I tons of Spider Man ideas. Uh and, and DC stuff. I would love to be able to do lives about DC stuff Ooh. uh just to counteract all the really shitty Batman takes you have on TikTok. Like people really I... like Batman. My algorithm is skewing more Marvel now just because I need to try to avoid <laughs> the toxic Batman. Fucking Batman people. Uh, the anti-Batman people are the worst. Anyway, uh, Joe of X on TikTok. Uh, Joe Blauberg on uh, Twitter. If you want to go see me talk about comic books on Twitter. I'll spell that in the show notes for you. It's, uh, yeah, so, and that's me. Awesome. Uh, so that will 
do it for us. As you probably know, we are now part of the Crossover Comics community. This means this episode and all future episodes will be found on their channel on YouTube. Crossover is also home to the Crossover Comics podcast hosted by our friends Jeremy and Michael. And Color Break, hosted by Cody and Christian, which uh, is going to have a certain Comega Mutant as a guest later this month. So you might check it out. Please go check them out. And if you are an audio fan, they're on all the services too. I assume you just search their name. Make sure you like us, review us on all the places, follow us, and if nothing else, tell a friend who you think might enjoy it. I'm that nerdy pop, a bear on all the socials. Keegan is both ranger, and until next time, remember, never trust a clone. (laughs) All right, so we just passed 240, so after editing.